Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls. Last time we spoke, it was a few games after the Otto Porter trade and the Bulls were trending upward with Lowry Markkinen and Zach Levine playing at a level that we hadn't seen from either before. That has essentially continued in the couple of weeks since with the Bulls putting together an impressive month of basketball. And that fact was pretty much emphasized over this past weekend in a pair of games against the Atlanta Hawks, which saw the Bulls pull out a thrilling win in Atlanta against the Hawks on Friday night. That game was one for the ages as it pretty much wouldn't end. And the Bulls needed every bit of four overtimes to finally get the win. But what a W it was with Levine having a near 50 point triple double and Markkinen and Porter going for 30 plus themselves. Then again on Sunday, completing a home and home with the Hawks who were visiting Chicago on Sunday afternoon. This time, unfortunately, the Hawks got their revenge and pulled away with a five-point win against the Bulls. But nonetheless, it was still an entertaining game. So because we have been given so much more basketball than we what we had bargained for over the last two games, there's a heap to get through. And given that the Bulls have been playing some great basketball of late, I thought it would be fitting to get the most optimistic fan among us on the show to talk all things Bulls with me today. So joining me now is a man you may know as C-Red Fred. Or simply as the lunatic who calls into Waddle and Sylvie far too often. But to me, he's just Fred Pfeiffer, host of the Chicago Bullseye and Big Red Bus podcasts, and more importantly, my best friend. Fred, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> Mark, my friend ears, friend of tears. I'm so I'm so honored to be on the show and to bring uh uh Bulls HQ to New Heights. I I'm so glad to be back, man. It's awesome to talk to you, brother. And I gotta tell you, I think our relationship has gone to another level with your admission that you uh, love me on the uh, bull cash considerations. I almost drove off the road. I got to be honest when I heard that. So it was pretty good. <laughs> and I think that was at least some degree of sincerity, I hope. Well, I, 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 like <laughs> I don't think know. So. Maybe, maybe a touch. Look, at, well, I don't think we've spoken in, in, in 2019. I think the last time we, we caught up was was last year. So it's a new me, Fred, a new lease on life. And um. You know, I just want to be thankful for the people in my life, and you're one of them. You're a big part of it. So, yeah, you're a good friend to me, Fred. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Did that sound genuine? You know, brother, and I wish <laughs> – yeah, absolutely. You are a good friend to me. I think you're very nice. Thank you. And, uh, and honestly, uh, I, uh, congratulations on the wedding. As I said uh, offline, uh, uh, I'd love to be there. If I would have been invited, I would I would have been there. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure it was just the oversight in your part with all the planning and stuff. But uh, – Hey, I can't I can't congratulate you enough. I'm so excited about it. I'm gonna make a big announcement on Twitter when when you finally uh, are married, and I can just hear the groans across the the, the United States uh, with the knowledge that you're going to be off the market. So, unfortunately for our, our female listeners, uh, that's bad news. But big picture, your happiness is what matters most to me. Well, I appreciate that that sentiment, Fredo. I, I, I truly do. So, um, but enough of that nonsense. Let's get into the beloved bull, as you like to say. Let's talk bulls because we've got. I've got actually a lot to get through because we've had some some pretty interesting games here over the last couple uh, over the last couple of weeks. But more importantly, last couple of games two against the Atlanta Hawks. One was an absolute classic. One not necessarily so, but it was still interesting to see how the teams pulled up after a four overtime game that we saw on Friday night. So I want to talk. Bulls and Hawks mostly, but before I get to that, I need to ask this question. So let me get this out of the way. Surely we can do better and find a better slogan than the Red Leviathan stirreth. Can't we do that, Fred? 
Don't you love it when I use this this language, this biblical language? It really, I think it really brings it up a whole new notch. I almost I almost uh, died laughing this morning reading uh, Darnell Mayberry. Did you read Did you read him this morning? No, I haven't read it yet. No. Did you catch the one line? All were momentum changing plays that illustrated how Levine can giveth and taketh away. And I uh, I reached out to Darnell and said. Did I inspire that? You got to be honest. Tell me. And uh, he hasn't uh, written back yet, but I, I think Funny on some that. level I did inspire him. I just love, I love everybody's, you know, while, while we're going on uh, about this, people, every time I make these kind of prophecies or talk in this, this language, people, I always use a, a picture uh, in Twitter and I encourage everyone to check it out. And everybody's like, what, what is that picture of? It's actually from the movie, The Ten Commandments, when Moses parts the Red Sea. Did you, were you were you aware of that? Uh, I'm I'm not big on my uh, biblical references, but I assume <laughs> that was Moses. Yes, and I'm assuming in this point you was, are portraying yourself as Moses, the Bulls Moses. What <laughs> the Bulls Moses? Right. Well, it's Charlton Heston in that famous movie, parting the Red Sea, uh, and then letting his people cross. And then, as you know, uh, uh, when he gets when they get by the attackers, the Egyptians who were attacking them. Uh, get about halfway through, and then the, the water closes in on them. So, you know, the Red Sea, uh, I kind of like with the sea red. I hope you can uh, catch the uh, similarities there. But yeah, I've got it. That's I do great. like to, to to talk in these. <laughs> I, I do like to talk in these uh, in these terms because I really do feel. You know, all, all joking aside, I really do feel that this team is destined to win the title. I know how ridiculous <laughs> it may sound to you now. Yeah, <laughs> but I do believe, and I believed it for some time that these young players are really going to grow into something special. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy, and I, I find solace in the fact that some people are actually starting to believe that I'm not completely insane. Well, I, I hate admitting this, Fred, but I have actually become somewhat of an optimistic fan right now. And I don't know if it's your influence or if it's more so Lowry Marketing and, and what Zach Levine have been doing, but my expectations of Lowry specifically, based on what I've seen from him over the last month or so, you know, I've, I've always rated him highly, but at this point, I feel like he's pushing through to another level at a faster rate than I had previously anticipated. So I'm starting to feel like he's redefining his potential development curve for the better. And this is probably me just admitting that here on the podcast. I'm sure you've had these feelings a long time ago, but do you obviously feel the same as I do? Oh, absolutely. I, I've, I've always said I felt that he had top 10 potential. And when you come into the league with that ability to shoot at that height, right immediately you have an advantage over most of the players in the league that you could shoot over almost anyone. And when you have to guard a player like him out at 35 feet, that opens up so much for your game. I wasn't exactly sure he would progress this quickly as far as being able to to handle the ball, to distribute the ball. The, the amount of improvement I've seen in the ball handling and the passing ability is just exponential from what I expected. And I actually feel out of all his skill sets, the shooting is the one that's lagging a little bit more than I expected. Uh, I still do think when all is said and done in three or four years, he's going to be a consistent 40-plus shooter from three-point range, which is absolutely elite. He'll be one of the top 10 shooters in the NBA. And when you could do that and bring every other skill set that he has, honestly, there's, I mean, the numbers he is putting up consistently in the, in the month of February, like a 25-12 type of uh, numbers, I can find many guys that well. Carl Anthony Towns is probably the only other guy, other big, that I think is anywhere near him as far as offensive talent. And it's, it's just so exciting to see it. I, 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 he's even surprised me, though. I didn't expect him to have that, that type of month, and it was just awesome to see. 
Yeah, totally agree. I mean, like even if you just just forget the you know the, the month of February, but just you know focusing on his month like, on his numbers for the, the entire season, he's basically averaging twenty points and nine rebounds, which. To me, when he was drafted, that was my almost his, my best case scenario of him of him at his peak. But this is obviously year two. He's halfway through his second season, given he missed two months of the start of the season. So to be doing this one and a half years into your career is something I didn't necessarily see coming. Obviously, like I said before, rated Larry quite highly, but to be basically putting up twenty points and nine rebounds across the season. But to your point, since February essentially putting up 25 and 12 and boasting a, an all-star level PER. He's, he's exceeding my expectations at a fast rate. And I, yeah, I've had to recalibrate potentially what we're seeing from, from Mark. And I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say he has top 10 potential. Cause I think when you think about top 10 bigs, we're talking about guys like Anthony Davis, uh, you know, maybe Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, these sorts of players. So, I, I don't know if uh, if if marketing can get to that level, but he he could very well be a top twenty player in the NBA. So that's even then probably a, a, a height that I didn't necessarily have him sort of reaching. So, like I said, I, I I'm fully expecting, and I'm hoping it's not just necessarily just a hot streak here, but to me at least, the way he's gone about it, it, it sort of screams that he's he he's changing his development curve, which is exciting, and it's making me a lot more optimistic about where this team is headed going forward. Absolutely. And, and I don't know about you, but I was very frustrated. You probably didn't hear a lot of this, but, you know, right around the Otto Porter trade, they drag in Nick Friedel from uh, to give his commentary. And, you know, God bless Nick. He's a great guy, but he probably hasn't watched. I, I would be willing to bet about four Bulls games all year. And he kind of just threw it out as, you know, Laurie hasn't progressed the way that they expected. And I was kind of like, I stepped back. I was kind of taken aback quite a bit to say, dude, have you been paying attention to his season? You know, like, he, he he missed the whole first basically two months with the injury. You expect and and to your credit, I heard you mention this. You can't expect the guy to just hit the ground running after that type of injury. And he admitted that it was still affecting his shot, even in the February. And you know, so it, I think as he's gotten healthier, as as the Bulls acquired more talent around him offensively in the Porter Junior trade, you've seen it. You've seen him really thrive. And 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 as uh, Levine and him have kind of developed a. A symmetry. I mean, this is this is incredible. It really is so exciting because going into next year, I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm willing to to say it now. I think Laurie Markin and, and Zach Levine are going to make the All Star team. I think they're both going to make the All Star team next year in Chicago. I mean, it's a, it's a slight possibility, definitely. Uh, I mean, probably more so Levine, I would say, given he's more established. There's probably less guards in the East that could maybe take his spot, but. Lowry too, he's a chance if they can continue in this form and, and continue growing at this rate. But you mentioned Levine there. Markkinen's the one typically getting the shine at the moment. But I, over the last 15 or, 15 or so games, I think Zach Levine, has, it's, he too has taken the next step. So I'm going to quote you some numbers here, Fred. And these are uh, Zach Levine's numbers over the last 15 games. He's averaged 26 points. And he's shot 51.3% from the field, 42.3% from three-point line, a 61.1 uh, true shooting percentage, 5.9 rebounds, 5 assists per game. So Markkinen is rightfully getting a lot of the attention for his recent ascension, ascension, but I feel like Levine is getting overlooked somewhat here. And I think equally, he is showing as much growth as Lowry has over the last, let's call it 15 games. Absolutely agree, hundred percent. I think there's just a a natural tendency among the fan base to want to discount Levine, 
there was so 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 much of the fan base that was against the uh, the match of that Sacramento contract when he was a restricted free agent uh, in the summer. And I think a lot of people, you just naturally want to say, "Hey, I'm right." And point out and point out for every fall or every mistake that he had. You know, he started out really hot, and then I didn't think he was playing expe- exceptionally well in December. But when you look at the team, it was just basically him and Parker, and there was very little offensive talent around them until Laurie finally got healthy. Uh, but I don't see how you can possibly look at Levine in the month of February and and, and make still continue to make that argument, which I do see, like. You know, I, I occasionally see people say he doesn't make other people better. And I, and I, I liked your tweet, I think it was today, where you kind of snarkily brought it up how, you know, a lot of people say he doesn't pass at key times of the game. You look at the Atlanta game on Friday, he had that huge pass to Ryan Archie Ancano and, and the other huge pass at the end of the game to Lari, who missed the three. But I think he's been facilitating. That's, to me, the most impressive part of his game over the last eight games is how well he's been passing. He's been approaching double-digit passing games uh, assist games almost every every game and uh, I, I've just been I've been blown away with his progress and you know a lot of this I do think is due to the presence of Porter Jr. just having a guy on the on the court who can stretch the floor allows him to have so much more room to to do things and he needs to do um, so I, I don't want to just say it's all on Levine I, I do think that's helped immensely both players but regardless I don't see how anybody could be questioning the signing anymore like it's it's a bargain at 19 19.5 million a year for four years the numbers that he's putting up you should expect quite a bit more like I, I had gotten to an argument with a Bulls fan the other day about Devin Booker or Larry or uh, Zach Levine I mean how can you even look at the contracts he's making about 10 million less out of those two players do you really feel like Devin Booker is a better option than Zach Levine that he may be barely I guess you can make that argument, but not based on the contract overall. What say you? No, Dev, I, I would agree. I mean, comparatively as players, maybe maybe you would give the edge to Devin Booker slightly, but at the same time, if I'm having to pay Devin Booker $30, $35 million when I can get Zach Levine at 20 or even just a shade under 20, I'm taking Levine. And, and that's a credit to Levine because he has improved this season. And a lot of people just want to put it down to his scoring, which has been there all season. And I, I would say he's probably even improved as a scorer over the last month, given that Otto Porter has made things a little bit easy, as you sort of just suggested there. But you also mentioned that his playmaking is definitely improved. And I think that's the case too. The Bulls have been putting the ball more in his hands. He and Chris Dunn have been splitting their minutes somewhat. So it's allowed Levine to be that primary ball handler on occasions. And, you know, whilst he has still has those frustrating turnovers as he did against the Hawks, in that four overtime game, it was weird to me to see people being critical of Levine in his and his turnovers, given that he basically had a fifty-point triple-double. He wasn't very far off it, and I don't even know if the Bulls win that game without Zach Levine. He scored six of their eight points in the third overtime, and people are quick to point out the over, uh, the, the turnovers, or you know he may have missed a pass here or there, but. I think they forget that he's still developing too, and the fact that he was able to will the team to that victory against the Hawks, um, I, I couldn't be more positive about Levine. And, and, and I, look, I mentioned this about Markkinen too before, but Levine right now, he's exceeding my expectations too. Every Almost every metric, he's at near career highs. Almost every single one. And, and one of the other important ones, he's one of the few guys on the team, I think, that consistent, consistently gets to the free throw line. That's such a huge thing. I think he's really upped his game in that in that department this year. I, I and on the defensive end, 
Yeah, I'm frustrated with his off the ball, right? I mean, there's no doubt that's a problem. But I, I do think he's he's somewhat improved this season. I, I don't know if the metrics are, are proving that out. I just think overall, it's to me, it's just so ridiculous to keep on complaining about Zach Levine. And there's people I respect that uh, a significant number, and I, I can't figure it out. I think maybe it, it, do, it does go back to, you know, just the signing and anything that this this front office does is going to be looked at in a negative light. But I'm hoping they give this guy a chance because I was a little sour on him, you know, right around the mutiny. I, for everything I read, that he was one of the guys leading it. Yeah. But then I talked to Darnell Darnell Mayberry offline. I talked to KC offline. The guy's a good dude. Like the more I hear about him in the locker room, like people really like him. He's really well respected around the league. He's like a guy that could legitimately recruit. Like, I, I really do feel that if the Bulls ever get a team that's in contention, he's a guy who's not going to be afraid to take, you know, to, to really do that. Whereas the Bulls, you know, some of the favorite, our favorite players on our favorite teams really weren't those type of guys, you know. So, um, you know, he, he does have a cachet throughout the league. I, I like the kid a lot now. I've really come around on him. And I, I think he's almost beyond criticism at some. At, he's 23. He'll be 24 on March 10th. You're right. Like people act like he's, it it does seem like he's been in the league a long time, but I still think he's probably three or four years away from his prime. Another area where I think he's really improved is three point shooting is all of a sudden, really, he's up that quite a bit. And and what are you going to do against a guy like that? He's another guy like marketing. You got to guard him out at 35 feet. And the team just, it's so exciting to see the offensive potential with him, Laurie, and then Porter Jr. and whoever they had in this upcoming draft. Yeah, and all, all of a sudden, from position shooting guard, small forward, and power forward, the team has maybe you know some of the best shooters at those positions from the three point line at those spots. So you probably weren't saying that before the Otto Porter trade, but it's amazing just what Porter's presence and just his skill set can sort of how it can reshape this roster. So you know, credit to the Bulls for bringing in Porter. I had my reservations about certain aspects of the trade, not necessarily who they sent out. That I thought that was the best part about it, but. Porter has really, uh, he's redefined this team for us at the moment. And I think Mark and, and Levine specifically are the ones benefiting from that. But I want to talk about the Bulls point guard rotation now. And I want to specifically hit on your favorite player on the team, Ryan Archidiakono. And I want to know, as he was hitting that three to tie the game late in the second overtime, at that point, were you thinking to yourself how wrong you've been about Archidiakono and that he's indeed an NBA player? <laughs> Some of your tweets are so utterly ridiculous about him. I, I still feel like you're kind of like a parent pointing out every like uh, overbearing parent, every little great thing that Junior does. Like it's something like, oh, wow, look at Junior doing this. I mean, Mark, there's no doubt he was playing awful for about a month. He was shooting, I think, 34 percent under under 30 percent from three. And that's the that's always been the thing with me and Ryan. Like he's got to hit shots. That's his, his, he's not good enough to acquire massive attention on the, on the defensive end. I love everything. He's such a good guy and he does play hard. He sacrifices his body and, and I've really grown to love how he imitates Lopez. I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things <laughs> I've seen. And I laugh. I mean, is that not, is that not awesome or what? Every time he does something, how he imitates him. I mean, that is fantastic stuff, but uh, you know, he's back to playing like how he was in the first month of the season, but there's, I think you, I hope you agree with this. What we need next year is him to be our third point guard. We need to bring in a starter or someone to challenge Dunn, have Dunn come off the bench and lead that second unit. 
hopefully, unless he raises his game in spring in in the uh, you know training camp. But we got to have we got to upgrade that position. And I hope you're not trying to argue that Ryan should be our starting point guard next year. I would want to argue that simply because I'm talking oh. to you and I know that would infuriate you. But if you're asking <laughs> me to be serious, then no, obviously yeah. Archie Diakono can't yeah. be our starting point guard next season. But I think he has a valid claim for the backup spot. Uh, I think he and Dunn should be competing for that spot next season, assuming Dunn remains on the team and isn't traded in the offseason. But I definitely do agree that the Bulls need to bring in some reinforcements in that uh, for that point guard position because I, I definitely don't think... Chris Dunn is necessarily the answer to that spot. So I actually wanted to ask you that question, and that's sort of why I brought up Archie Diakono so we could sort of transition to Dunn. But what have you made of Dunn, let's call it, over the last couple of months? Has he has he shown anything to you that he should be around on this team beyond this season? It's tough with Dunn. I, I'm still on Dunn Island. I got, I got one foot in the boat, though. Um, you know, I think I thought for uh, large parts of the year, I, I saw improvement. He was near career highs in almost every shooting metric. And I thought he, I was at the game against Indiana. That was an absolutely fantastic game. 17 assists. I love his defense. And then on that West Coast trip, he was an utter disaster. And I don't know what was going on. And like whispers about something going on off the court. I know he had his, uh, a, I think it's a son uh, at the beginning of the season. I know how difficult that could be. And sometimes, you know, off the court issues do kind of, no matter what you do, they can affect your on-court play. But regardless, Every guy in the NBA has to deal with with stuff off the court, so that's no excuse. Uh, you know, I, I think people are un, a little bit unfairly harsh on him, but I do also see the point that I don't think his game's going to fit with what we have here. I don't know if you listened to that interview I had with Casey, and I, I've kind of come around on this, and I agree with him. You need that to point guard position, the guy to just do three things: play defense, which he can do, hit threes, which he really can't. And uh, what was the other point that Casey made that we needed from? I don't know. I guess distribute. Just distribute, right? Facilitate for others. Uh, and that's something he really hasn't done that well, you know, kind of over dribbling. I still believe uh, I, I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't trade him at all. He's at an all-time low, arguably, outside of his, you know, after his rookie season in, in terms of trade value. I think I'd bring somebody in to challenge him, have an open competition at camp. And maybe that's enough to raise his game. I keep on holding out on that. Because that point guard position, you've seen a lot of good guys uh, take a couple of years to really, you know, to really build into the type of player at that position. It's a little bit it takes a little bit longer to to succeed at that position. And D'Angelo Russell, I mean, I know these guys are younger than Dunn, but they weren't great in the first couple of years. Um, so I, I would still, I still kind of believe in him. I just, I, I don't want him off the team next year, but I do think you got to bring someone in to challenge him for that starting spot. What say you? Well, you know, just thinking about what you mentioned there in terms of what Casey said to you on your podcast, which I did listen to, that was a great show. He mentioned the, the distribution of, or the point guard needing to distribute the ball, hit, hit open threes and play some solid defense. And I'm just sitting back to myself thinking, you know who can do that? Ryan Archer Diakono. So, <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> so, you can't I, I, hit threes that consistently. What's he shooting on the year from three? Can't uh, be that. He's at least 60%, I'd say, um, oh, off the okay. top of my head. But, uh, <laughs> but no, look, they're, they're basically done in Archer Diakono, that is. They're, they're essentially the same age. They both turned 25 in a few weeks' time. The same, they come out in the same draft. Dunn Dun went fifth in that draft. Archer Diakono went undrafted. So, obviously... Dunn himself has a much higher ceiling than what Archie Diakono definitely has. But I think one has improved whilst the other has regressed. So I think those two 
hopefully will be com- competing for that backup spot, as you mentioned, and that hopefully the team can sign someone in free agency that can maybe take that that starting position from Dunn or at least provide some sort of level of competition to it. But it's just, it's interesting to think about the Bulls right now because they've pretty much got their two through five positions locked down. Absolutely. And it, it just makes Dunn's growth or lack thereof, I guess, even more frustrating the fact that we could have this starting five set in stone if Dunn had come along as I had hoped he could this season. We saw a progression last season. He hasn't necessarily taken that step again this season. But the more I think about how you know, positions two to th- through two through five has sort of been set here by the balls. The more, the more I want Dunn to find what he should be, but I don't think he's going to get there, which is kind of disappointing. But at the same time, it's been interesting to see actual competent point guard play from a young opposing point guard, and I'm referencing Trey Young here, who has been pretty much unbelievable mm. in the two games that we've seen the Bulls play in the Hawks over the last couple of games. So I wanted you to get your thoughts on Trey Young. Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe you were super high on him coming out of the draft. I had my reservations too, but what have you made about Trey Young, specifically in the two games that we've seen here against the Bulls, but more generally about his rookie season? Well, I I definitely, I think a lot of my concerns have still remained true in the NBA, and almost all of them were on the defensive end. He's he's a absolute, still, I think, you know, catastrophe or it's an issue on the defensive end with Trey Young. And I don't think the Bulls did a great job taking advantage of it, but to me, if if you got a halfway decent point guard, you can just take him in the post or out physical him. He's he's not a strong guy at all. That was all my issues with him. I just thought he was so small. Um, and everyone I had talked to, Darnell Mayberry, who were up close next to him, they all said he was barely six feet, if that, you know, six foot, six one, maybe with shoes on. And that's when you're that small, I just think you're going to have issues like. People are comparing to Steph Curry. Steph Curry, I've seen him up close. He's a legit 6'3". That's a massive difference in size. With all that said, man, it's hard to be impressed with what we saw uh, on Friday and, and what I've seen from him lately. The, the two things that really stick out, which I, I didn't expect, was his vision is just in, in, it's insane. He's just an excellent passer. I think he's got an excellent feel of the game. Um, that game on Friday, how many times he drove and just would dish for a guy for a dunk. I mean – he sees the, the way he sees the court is really special. There's very few guys that have that that vision, I think. And and that, I, in, fairness, in fairness to myself, I said that about Dantich too. That's the thing that impressed me most is seeing guys with that ability to see passing lanes. It's just it's so rare. I I don't think uh, that's something that's uh, I think that's almost like a God given talent is to be able to see that. And he he definitely has that. Now as far as the shooting, he hasn't shot the ball well for a lot a large part of the year. He's still only at 33% from three, which isn't good. But now, I mean, lately he's he's starting to hit it at a much higher rate. And it is impressive with how far he can shoot the ball out. He's shooting over 80% from the free throw line, eight assists. I mean, the guy's it's been great. It, there's no denying it. And, and I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Out of all the teams, I brought this up, Mark. I'd love to get your opinion too. If we don't get Zion, and you think of those other teams that are in the, in the lottery, the one team I don't want to see him end up on, is, is the Hawks because they, they would scare the hell out of me with, with Trey Young, Zion Williamson. That that would be a team that you could see potentially then rivaling Chicago 
uh, with a, a good young core that would grow into something special. You know, what say you? It's funny you say that because that's exactly the team I would want to see him on if it wasn't Chicago because I definitely don't think a team like the Suns deserve another top pick and I definitely don't want to see Zion go to the Phoenix Suns. They don't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that. I definitely don't want to see Zion at in New York. I don't want the Knicks getting Zion when the Bulls missing out on him. That would be terrible. I certainly don't want the mm. Cavs getting Zion. I, 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 he doesn't deserve that either. God. So if it's not going to be Chicago, no. then I, I think it has to be the Hawks because I think they've gone about the rebuild the right way. And, and I think they're, they're a, a, a team that deserve a star like Zion. So if it's not Chicago, it's actually a team that I would like to see him go to is the Hawks because of the way they've built it. And I think he would be an awesome fit next to John Collins, who we haven't seen, unfortunately, in the last two games here against the Bulls. But with Trey Young, even Kevin Herter, who's going to be a really good player as well, you add Zion to that. And they've got another top 10 pick coming this or this draft as well, potentially from the from the Mavericks too, as part of that Doncic and Young swap. So if you can add yeah, exactly. Zion... They're going to have two shots at it. Potentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's top five. Top five uh, protected the the Dallas pick. Oh, but, that's right, that's right. But still, yeah. they could they could get pick six. Let's call it and pick one. That would be huge. So, uh, I don't know, man. I I would kind of like to see Zion in Atlanta if it's not Chicago. But obviously, I want to see him in Chicago. But if it can't happen here, then I hope it's hopefully it's with Trey Young. Well, as a Bulls fan, I don't want him anywhere near the East. So if he doesn't end up in Chicago, I absolutely want him in Phoenix. I. I I mean, what are you talking about, Mark? You're going to create a monster there in Atlanta. If you if you combine Trey Young with Zion Williamson, that is the one team, John and John Collins that that I would be concerned about going forward. I I, I look in the future. I know you read my uh, you had a chance to read visions that I had on Twitter where I predicted what was going to happen next year. There's not one team in the East that I feel is going to be close to the Bulls in a few years. Every one of the teams next year that are are at the top, I think, are going to get worse. You know, everybody's excited about the Knicks and their two, their two spots. They'll probably end up with Irving and Butler, and I think that will top out about forty-five wins. And in a long, in, in a long run, be a disappointment. Be looked at as a disappointment. The Atlanta Hawks, if they get Zion Williamson, that will challenge the Bulls absolutely in three or four years because that will be a combination that will be almost every bit as good as what we have. Look, I understand your point, but I want, I want what's best for Zion, and I, I don't think he deserves to be oh sent to Phoenix. Uh, look, I, I would feel for the kid if that if that was where he was destined to go. We just talked about Devin Booker before, and the fact that the Suns haven't necessarily turned things on. They've got eight and two last season. They they don't need to get another you know top pick, a number one pick, and they don't deserve Zion. Zion doesn't deserve the Suns. So I don't know. I'm well, thinking like about Zion, Zion too, first. but I don't love him more than the beloved Bull. Yeah. I mean, I'll I, I be honest with you. What are you talking about, man? Having good Phoenix isn't bad. It's great out there. I love it. It's nice and warm. <laughs> be in the West. <laughs> he, he can lay tear on the West when we him in the finals. It's, I, I don't want him around here in, in Atlanta. It's going to be I'll be awful. Anyhow, we'll move on. I know what you're saying, though. I, I, he's a good kid. I, I wish him the best, but I wish him the best in Phoenix, not in the East, unless it's with us. Well, I mean, fair enough. Uh, look, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one, but um, yeah, I definitely don't want to see Zion languish on a, on a terrible franchise. That would be, you know, that would be bad for the league. But anyways, moving on, let's talk about Wendell Carter, who we've sort of somewhat forgotten here, and and maybe not forgotten. That's not the right way to put it, but I can't help but watch the Bulls with their current resurgence here, with Mark and Levine playing so damn well, and not think about how unfortunate it is to have Wendell Carter out sitting on the sidelines because we forget that we only. Get to, or get, or we only really got to see Wendell playing through the dogged days when this team was playing some of the worst offensive basketball 
that we had seen in a long time. I want to talk about that a little bit later on, but we, we basically got that version of, of Wendell sort of etched in our brain. And whilst we're sitting here talking about Trey Young and all these other rookies who have come on this year and have performed so well, it sucks that we didn't get to see Wendell Carter get to play in this open style of basketball with Otto Porter around on the Bulls now as well. So, are you like me where you're sort of watching the Bulls right now, you're seeing Levine and Markin and tearing it up and you're sort of just wondering or, or even dreaming what Wendell Carter Jr. could look in this lineup? I do think about it occasionally. I got to be honest. I mean, how how exciting uh, Laurie and, and Zach have been in the last couple of weeks and how good Otto Porter's been. I, I Sometimes I've forgotten about him. Uh, but I, I definitely remembered him last Friday because it was basically a layup line. He's by far our best defensive rim protector. And in that game, we would have won by 20, I, I believe, if he was healthy. He's he's already an elite defender in the paint. And, uh, I th- you know, it does it does bother me a little bit that we weren't able to kind of see how he would fit next to these two guys as they're playing so well. And I can't wait to see how it's going to look with Porter Jr. there. And But I think it's all going to be good. I mean, Porter Jr., uh, and then having having Wendell, who's going to be a plus defender, I, I think it's going to be awesome, man. I, I, I said I said this before on, on Twitter, and I don't know if you laughed at it. I think I think I heard it in cast considerations. You guys laughed at it. I do firmly believe this is true. In two or three years, Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, and Wendell Carter Jr. will represent the best big three in the NBA, and I mean that in that I think they all work seamlessly together, like. The deficiencies that Larry has are will be covered up by Wendell and vice versa. Like, he's not going to be ever a great off the dribble player. We got Zach Levine for that. Uh, I do think that Wendell's going to eventually evolve into a very good shooter. I know we didn't see that this year, uh, and that's to me the most disappointing part of his season is that he didn't really get that opportunity. I didn't think he was utilized correctly at all. Everything they were doing was in the post with him, and I think he's going to be better on the perimeter and be Al Horford. Not a poor man's Al Horford, a rich man's Al Horford. I think he's got a lot more athletic ability than Al Horford does. He might not be as good offensively in the post as Al is, but Al's an elite defensive player. I think Wendell Carr Jr. could be every bit as good, every bit as dominant, and in two years he'll be a first-team all-defensive player. Remember what I say today, because I know a lot of people listening to this are laughing, but I do firmly believe it to be true. He's one of the best young defenders, interior defenders, that I've ever seen. Ever. Um, so I am very bullish on Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, but you know, it's kind of hard not to be, uh, it, you know, I think Laurie and, uh, Zach have provided solace in his, uh, solace in his absence, uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, it, it could have been much worse had they not been playing the way they are. It would have been even a tougher pill to swallow with Wendell out. But at the same time, it would have been great to to see him alongside those two as as they have been balling, to see him sort of being alongside them and cleaning up their mistakes and really just sort of playing in that open and free offense. Like you said, I don't think the Bulls really utilize him correctly at all. He should be a face-up player pri- uh, primarily. And I think there's an even greater spacing opportunity with Wendell in place of Lopez going forward next season, but I guess we'll have to wait until next season, until we see that. But I know you've got a ghost soon, so i just got a couple more questions here. So I just want to quickly touch on this tanking debate that's sort of filtered through the fan base at the moment. And I want to touch on it because it's kind of starting to annoy me. And, and again, I don't want to play the optimist card because I know I'm getting too, close to, too closely aligned to uh, your avenue here, but... You know, the whole tanking thing's really bothered me. 
Uh, and after every game, after every win, even that impressive win against the Hawks where the Bulls won in four overtime, you still see people getting disgruntled, disgruntled and mad about a win like that. It's really starting to get to me, Fred, so I want to get your take on it. I'm pretty sure I know what it's going to be, but fill us in anyways. <laughs> well, I agree with you 100%, Mark. I mean, they'd have a point if it was last year. Like, I would totally understand that. But, you know, the way I look at it, people need to just start assuming we're not going to get Zion. Even if we had the worst record in the league, we'd have an 86% chance of not getting him. That's the way you should view this as and and, and just come to that realization. And, and I, I think that's the best way of starting this. But realize and realize that stop looking out on the horizon at what might be when you have a player in Larry Markinen who's emerging as a top 20 talent without a doubt. And I think he has top 10 potential. Zach Levine, top 30 talent without a doubt. I think he's got top 20 potential. And, you know, we forget about Wendell and it's easy to forget about Denzel Valentine and, and Hutchinson, a lot of the other good young players on this team. But they're all there, too. Like, I think there's way too much focus on. Zion's Zion saving us. And as I said, the odds are he's not going to be here. So just accept that fact, come to that realization, and also realize that the Chicago Bulls have drafted extremely well when they're in the top 10. And in almost every draft, you see guys drafted at six, seven, eight, nine that end up being real difference makers. Paul George drafted, I think, was at 10, Steph Curry at seven. Every year it happens. Um, you know, uh, Murray was drafted at seven. There's always really good players that fall to six, seven, eight, nine. And the Bulls have really had a lot of success between seven and 10. I mean, you look at some of the players they drafted, uh, Kirk Heinrich, one of your favorites, not, not so much one of mine, but he's definitely a, a good player in Chicago Bulls history. Luol Dang at seven, uh, Jakeem Noah at nine, Wendell Carter Jr. at seven, Laurie Markinen at seven. I think, you know, I think there's going to be a player like that in this draft. I really do believe that. And and to just focus on Zion and to keep on complaining, you're right. You're absolutely. It takes a lot of my enjoyment out of the game. So much so that today I was actually cheering they would lose. Um, you know, I think there was probably a little bit more solid reason for it. But I just I just don't want to have to deal with all the negativity about it. You know, if they would have won that game. All you would have heard was, oh, you know, now they're they're going to fall to five. Well, the difference between five and, and one is, is uh, you know, what, 10 to 14 percent, right? Four, four percentage points. I mean, is that what we're really crying about? I, I do get it if it was last year. It's not last year. It's this year. So, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, Mark. I mean, I, I think this to, to be complaining about it. And the good thing is, though, there are some smart fans like you. And, um, you know, uh, I've seen a, a Kevin Farrigan who kind of are taking the right approach here. I think, you know, what's more important? What would you rather see? And I kind of brought this up on Twitter. What do you think is more likely that marketing becomes a top 10 player or or we win the lottery, we get Zion and he becomes a top 10 player? I think over the past few weeks, you got to say the chances of Larry Markkinen becoming a top 10 player are probably greater than 14%. Wouldn't you? I don't know I'd about that. I'd say it's like one out of three. Look, no? I, I, look, I don't know about that. But you know, even if I'm not sure about that point, the reason why this whole tanking thing is annoying me is the fact that it's not 
the Bulls veterans that are getting the Bulls wins right now. It's not like right. last season where you had Sean Kilpatrick coming over the last month and win the Bulls one or two games there at the end simply because his agent happened to have a, an inside track with the Bulls ownership group and, and front office. This isn't a situation where some random scrub is sort of winning the game for the Bulls. So the Bulls are playing like this because Zach Levine and Larry Markin have, t- have taken that next step. And that's the important point about this whole thing. They've, like, like we've talked about earlier, those two have redefined their development curve. They've exceeded my expectations, at least. And because they're doing that, the way that we should be viewing the upcoming draft should be somewhat different. Obviously, we want Zion, and every fan wants Zion. And I certainly still want to get that number one pick, and it's still obviously in play. But I don't know. This is a good reality to be in right now, because what we're seeing from Zach Levine and Larry Markin is something that we haven't necessarily seen from them before. Um, from before. And like you said before... The odds have changed. Things have changed. This isn't 2018 anymore. So to give some perspective to that, you know, the delta between picks number one and number four in 2018, it was an 115 or 11.3% difference between pick number one and pick number four. But in 2019, the difference between pick one and pick four is 1.5%. So if that's the case, then we're really arguing about a 1.5% difference. And look, the Bulls have 18 games left. They're four, four games behind or in front of the Hawks, depending on what view you want to put it for fifth spot. Now, it's unlikely that the Bulls are going to go past the Hawks here in the last 18 games to take that fifth spot. So in all likelihood, they're going to have the fourth best chance or the fourth best odds in getting someone like Zion. Uh, Zion. So, And again, that's only a 1.5% difference. So I'm, I'm, not con- I'm not concerned about this whole tanking debate. What we've seen from Markkinen and Levine have sort of changed the the equation to a degree to the point where I'm not in that bothered bothered about uh, worrying about lottery odds like I was last season. So I don't know. I just wanted to get that out on, off my chest because it's it's something that has been want, irritating me. Yeah, I wanted to throw a question to you too about um you know so like DeAndre Hunter like there's a guy I don't know if you see him off for Virginia he's kind of rocketing up the the uh, the rankings here. Um, he's a guy I watched that. The more I watch him, and I went to Ricky O'Donnell about him, and Ricky said he's he's the kind of guy that does a lot of great things, great, but nothing, a lot of things good, but nothing great. And and I don't know, you know, the more I watch this guy, I'm like, man, this guy, he shoots the three, handles the ball, plays incredible defense. There's nothing. He's a point guard. He's six seven, two twenty five. I love this guy. Now he's twenty one years old. I know that's a horrible thing in today's game, but. I, I really do believe he's like he's the kind of player that I think could fall to six, seven, or eight, and end up being the best player in the draft. I don't think it's out of the question that that could happen. I know maybe this draft Zion clearly be the best, but I think he could be. This guy could be better than Cam Reddish. It's to me there. If you look at, there's no doubt DeAndre Hunter's played significantly better than Cam Reddish. But I think most people will say, well, Reddish has probably got a higher ceiling. Whatever. I mean, who knows? It's it's not worth you know complaining about every five minutes and i want to get your take on something else which is part of this argument which is all the anger about them not uh, releasing rollo who according to will purdue he wants to be here again next year and my point was does does robin lopez help or hinder the the progress of laurie Markin and zach levine there's no doubt to me he helps it does he help with it does he help with their development why would you want to get rid of a player like that uh, what's your take on that whole situation? I haven't heard your your take on that. Yeah, I mean, it's unquestionable to me that Robin Lopez certainly helps the development of these young players. So that that's definitely fair. Uh, I wouldn't argue against that. And I was of the view that the Bulls should get rid of Robin Lopez, but that was probably a month ago when obviously Markin and Levine hadn't taken this step, and it was obviously before the trade 
uh, for Otto Porter, where the Bulls had you know Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis off the bench who could play those the power forward and set of minutes um, in, in place of Robin Lopez. But now behind Lopez and marketing, all you have in the big department is Felicio. And let, let's be honest, he's not a credible NBA player either. So they don't really have any big options to the point where I guess they have to keep Rollo around. And like I just argued, he is important for the development of someone like Larry Markin specifically, but even Zach Levine too. He sets those great picks for a ball handler like, like that. It's obviously advantageous for someone like Levine. So I don't, I don't hate the idea of keeping Robin Lopez around. And, he, he, and he, I mean, if the, the lone thing that the Bulls could really do to improve their tanking position is probably waiving or, or, or releasing or buying out Robin Lopez at this point. But I don't know if it's worth it. I, I don't know if it's worth it. They'd have to bring in another big off because you couldn't, you couldn't just play Cristiano Felicio 48 minutes at center. So they'd have to do something else in that space. But I uh, look, I'm, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not that too concerned with it because Lowry has been so good and, and Zach, Zach Levine too. They've been so good that these kind of little, little marginal things of maybe keeping Robin, Robin Lopez or not, it's, it doesn't bother me. It's amazing how far you and I have come together over the last two years. I mean, it's concerning when you me. first started really disappointing on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, you first started braiding me on Twitter. I think I all started around Tibbs. But since a lot of these issues have like you know fallen off the wayside, we've really come into an agreement, and and it's really a beautiful thing. As I think all of us, as the team gets better, I really think we're all going to be one uniform cord, and it's going to be so, such a beautiful thing in two years as we all celebrate the seven title, uh, holding hands and, and singing kumbaya as uh, Larry Markin and raises the the, the beautiful uh, trophy. I can't well, wait. I mean, man. It's going to be great. It's going to yeah, be awesome. Look, it, it, that may be the case, and I certainly hope it is the case. But I can't end on that note. So let me end on this question, which hopefully does give draw some <laughs> level of division. But um, I want to know from you: Do you think Denzel Valentine could outrun or outjump a forty-two-year-old Vince Carter? <laughs> I, I would have passed on that question. I, I'm <laughs> really angry. You know, you really pissed me off today. I couldn't Why? believe when I, I had brought up. I, was it today or, or or Friday when I had brought up? Imagine, you know, I just I'm painting these scenarios like how good our second unit is going to be. Let's just assume we sign a free agent uh, point guard who starts, and then you got done on second unit. And I brought up Hutchinson, Valentine, and uh, you know whoever the draft pick is possibly on that second unit. How much better we're going to be? And then you throw out there, no, no, not now. I remember what it was. I brought up Selden Jr., who I really like. He's yeah, going to be one of the best that. 12 men in the league, <laughs> 12 men in the league. And then you came back with this vicious put down of Valentine. You had to turn that into, you know, a Valentine put down. And I just didn't have that energy or I, I, I wanted to stay on the, but I was really angry because Valentine <laughs> people forget how he shot 38% from three last year. He was probably our best three point shooter. He's an excellent passer. He was one of the leaders on the team and assists. He's an excellent rebounder. There is nothing on the offensive end that Denzel Valentine does poorly. And I think he was about ready to just emerge into this really rock solid rotation player in the NBA and his ankle injury cut it short, but he's a more talented player in every facet of the offense than Selden is. I like Selden, but he's not as good as Denzel Valentine. He's not as good as three point shooter. He's not as good of a passer, not as good of a rebounder, better defensively. Sure. But you know, let's not let the so division here. Let's come together on this. Don't you agree? Could you, could you ever see Denzel Valentine hitting the ground like Wayne Selden did the other night against the Hawks and getting onto that loose ball and creating points for Zach Levine the way that Selden did? Could you ever see Valentine doing something like that? No, but Sacrificing I his see... body for the betterment of the team? No, but I 
could never see Selden putting up 34 points against the best team in the East as Denzel Valentine did on uh, St. Patrick's Day, the St. Patrick's Day massacre. Do you remember that? Only less than a year uh, ago. Unfortunately, you've given me the uh, the YouTube link far too many times. <laughs> so yes, unfortunately, I do recall well, that day. But, I'm going to send it. No, that Selden play was great. Regardless, let's not let's not so division. Selden's going to be a good, good part of this team, and so is Valentine. Together, they're exactly what you need in this NBA: good wings. You know, Selden's a little bit better offensively. Valentine's a little bit better offensively coming off the bench and being ready to step up. He'd be. Selden's really impressed me. I mean, can you believe we got that guy for a bum like Holiday? It's insane. <laughs> One more thing. One more thing I want to want to point out. What? For everybody who's negative, and, and now you've come around, I'm going to see Red Mark. I love it. Your, your poverty is so infectious. But I want to point out there's still some <laughs> non-believers, I'm sure, that listen to you. Listen to this. Almost every single move, since 2017 was met with negative reaction by the fan base, right? Let's go through it. Butler. Sure. Negative. All right. Butler trade. Butler trade, negative reaction. Wouldn't you concur? I'd say 90% negative. Yes. Would you now say that's a home run for the Bulls? Yes, right? I would not say it's a home run, but it's looking it's very nice. It's a triple nice. then in your eyes. It's a home run in mine. The mark, the pick a mark in it. I don't know about you. I was at the Bulls' Doug Tonis party. The whole room groaned. Anger pizza being thrown it was just a, a hug, ugly situation that was a grand slam i think we agree at seven are you marking in yep yes definitely yep nico nico trade now i know you're probably going to say this was a strikeout i think it was a double i think it's a potential homer I, definitely a strikeout <laughs> okay <laughs> when well it was not a strikeout considering nico would have probably we had to get rid of him no matter what right you, you understand the concept of trading him and getting a number one pick for him was probably a home run right well, it wasn't a number one pick; it was a first round pick. But yes, I understand the premise of why the Bulls had to do it. I didn't. I don't think they had to give up a second round pick or take on dead salary. But sure, they got it. They got a first round pick for him. Good, so good, it wasn't good for a the Bulls. But go on. Give it a single, single. All right. I, I don't understand baseball terminology. <laughs> so can I just say <laughs> like right. he hit the ball, but he hit it out into the fans, where it's not a home run, whatever you call that. <laughs> Inside the park, Homer. Is that what you said? No, they, they oh. connected on the bat with ball, but it didn't necessarily hit a home run. It went out. What do you call that? A foul ball? Foul ball. Foul, yeah, that's, that's the word. Foul. It was a foul. It was Are a we foul ball trade. Devolving in the baseball talk here? I can't believe it. All right. Well, this uh, is my, Wendell, all I know about baseball. So. Wendell Carter Jr., the Wendell Carter Jr. draft pick, I'd say that was a home run at seven. A very good. Four Definitely stars. Four stars out on. of one out of four. Levine restricted free agency match. I was okay with it. Yes, you were okay with it, but I'm saying. I'd say Fit was angry with that move. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, I would maybe potentially agree. And in agree, retrospect, it was the right decision. The holiday trade, beautiful move. Yes, most would agree with that. Otto Porter trade. A, a good move. Yeah. So my, my point is here, Butler, Markkinen, Nico, Wendell Carter Jr., Levine, Holiday, Otto Porter Jr., all of those moves were met. Either the majority of the fans were outraged, the fans were outraged to mild anger, and all of them, in my opinion, were home. Or, or very positive things for the beloved bull, with the potential exception of the Nico trade. I, I, I don't understand the negativity. It's not commensurate with the actual results. And um, you know, so let's get some positivity here. I love it how you're turning positive. I love it how you know. I, I think this is a good thing for us, big picture. And I think we should not dwell in the value of despair. There's very good things happening, and they will continue to happen for the beloved bull. Well, I mean, you're the bull's prophet, Fred. So if you say it, it must be true until it. <laughs> doesn't happen which is often so i don't know how to feel about it but <laughs> look for, for now i'll go with it so let, let's say it's going to happen and we'll take that wave of, of optimism and um you know I'm, I'm happy to accept it at the moment let's, let's end it right. like that 
Can I have really one more minute with two more quick predictions? All right, and I want to get, do you think yes or no these are going to happen? Is that okay? Of course. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Kyrie Irving's going to leave Boston. Yes or no? Yes. Um, Kawhi Leonard's going to leave Toronto. Yes. Jimmy Butler's going to leave Philly. Mm, maybe. Maybe. 50 50. Let's put it there. Regardless, we just named two of the three betters on those teams. Jimmy Butler's probably the third best or second best, depending on how you feel about the other players. All those teams are going to be worse. And all of them are ahead of the beloved. I mean, I don't understand what, what else what, what else we got to – what do we need to do as a fan base to realize there are brighter skies ahead for the beloved bowl? On that note, I bid you farewell. Congratulations, my man. I can't uh, – I'm very happy for your marriage. And uh, look forward to seeing all the uh, pictures on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Is that where you're going to put it? I, I I don't use Instagram, but I, I'm pretty sure I've sent you a, a, a friend request on Facebook, but I don't think you've accepted. So that's kind of rude, but um, I'll ignore that for now. Are you serious? I don't, I didn't know. Yeah, that. how dare you? I didn't know that. I'm trying to continue this friendship, on, you know, from Twitter to to Facebook, but you've just ignored me. Hey, that's extremely rude. I didn't but, mean um, to do that. Yes, thank you for anyway. I get I get like literally 200 a day that I don't even know. <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I just like Facebook a lot. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah people okay. love me on uh, in the local airwaves. All right, my man. All right, well, I got love you. Fred, You're the best, I appreciate Mark. your time. Thank you, sir. Take it, take it easy, bud. Bye. All right, folks. So that was Fred in fine form, as he often is. Oh, I love Fred. I do. It's always fun talking to that old fella. And I hopefully, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the conversation here between Fred and I. It'll probably be the last show that I do in the next sort of two weeks or so, as Fred sort of alluded to. I'm off to get married this weekend, so uh, I'll be away this weekend and the next weekend too. So in the meantime, obviously, jump online, follow all the other Bulls podcasts, follow Fred at CBE Fred. You can tune into his Bulls podcast, Chicago Bullseye and the Big Red Bass, but there's a, a ton of other Bulls podcasts out there. Cash considerations just come to mind. I was on their show last week. Obviously, Locked On Bulls, there's plenty of others too that you can obviously be following into in my stead whilst I'm away. But uh, I should be back hopefully in the middle of March. But I do appreciate you guys tuning into this episode and I do appreciate you guys sort of putting up with my irregularity of shows over the last sort of month or so. Life has gotten in the way for good reasons, obviously, but um, I do appreciate you guys sort of sticking in there and tuning in. When I do pump out a show, your support does mean the world to me. So very much appreciated. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at MKHoops. Follow the podcast on Twitter too at BullsHQPod on Twitter. So appreciate you tuning in. Thanks to you for doing that. We'll speak again soon. But in the meantime, hopefully the Bulls continue playing this brand of basketball and hopefully we continue seeing Larry Markin and Zach Levine take the next steps as they've been doing for the last five or so weeks. So on behalf of my guest, C Red Fred, this has been C Red Mark signing off. We'll catch you all again in a couple of weeks' time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. 
You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.